Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we keep you in touch with what's going on in Israel, hope you don't hear the sound of my neighbors drilling, and give you insight into the headlines and what's going on behind the scenes. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Uh, good, but not as always. I wasn't here last week. That's true, but it's our, it's the fictional premise that you are always here. Well, our subject for today is something that we're trying to figure out as we're sitting here. It is either our reflections in unpacking the nation-state law, which is such a hot topic, or it's Ronald Lauder's uh, letter in the New York Times, I guess it's an op-ed in the New York Times, about the nation-state law and the direction that Israel is taking. Which of those is our topic for today, Alan? Oh, Wow. <laughs> Uh, I guess we probably should start with the nation state and then see if we if we move into louder or we, we have to do a separate one maybe on the louder letter. The louder letter. Like that. that sounds good. All right. So let's start with the nation state. We've we've done an episode a few episodes ago where we met with Amichai Cohen who explained it to us. Last week's episode we talked to Sama, who explained her position as what she calls herself, identifies as a Palestinian Israeli. And so we understand that Israel made this into a basic law, declaring that Israel is a Jewish state, that Hatikva is our national anthem, that the Israeli flag is our flag. And what's making people angry is it didn't go out of its way to also refer to minorities and what their place is in Israeli society, leaving them to feel very excluded. Jerusalem are protesting, Arabs are protesting, some Jerusalem are dropping out of the army. Is that a good summary of where we are right now? Well, I, yeah, I think the Jerusalem dropping out of the army were a couple high-profile cases, but I could just say from uh, personal anecdotal is that my son's new commander, is Mifakade Pluga, is Jerusalem. So I don't think it's a... Uh, no, it was never a giant sweeping thing, but it was a few. It was done as a protest, and Jerusalem was saying, you know, we serve in the army, we're so loyal, what makes us less Israeli? That seems to be the... Right, which I think the fear is more of a trend of not joining, because they're not, they're not obligated to join like uh, Jewish Israelis. They, they, they join as volunteer, and we know Jerusalem have a high level of volunteer. Um, but that's, you know, and I think it's, it's not going to go away. I think the Knesset is now out in obsession, but I don't think this issue is going to go away so quickly. Um, no, I don't think it is. And Netanyahu said that he's going to have to make some changes to address the Jewsy protest. Look, the, the easiest thing to do would either add a, 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 a amend the law that made and just put in something about uh, democracy minorities or doing another basic law that explicitly says democracy. But I don't think that, that either of those things are going to happen. Well, there is a basic law that talks about rights and... Human dignity. Human dignity. The problem with that is not a problem, but those who claim that that's not enough is because it doesn't expressly write democracy. So it's based on a Supreme Court interpretation of that law of human dignity includes equality and democracy. So it's not explicit, as, as you could say, because that's open to interpretation. But. So the argument of the defenders of the law saying, well... The human dignity law exists, so we didn't have to include that stuff. A, there's stuff missing from the human dignity law, democracy, and B, there's not. It doesn't hurt to include it. In other words, this is essentially a symbolic law. It's it, more than anything else, and so the symbolism is what's striking so many of Israel. Twenty-five percent of Israel 
is minority, and they are deeply offended. And why is that helpful in Israel and out of Israel? And you would say that symbols matter. Um, but I think that there's a segment of Israel, which may be even a majority segment, I, I, I don't know, but I, I, it's not a small segment, who feels um, uh, attacked, you could say, in terms of their Jewishness here. And that, that there has been, again, I'm not saying whether it's true or not true, but I think a large segment feels that way. Um, and that the Jewishness is always called into question the right of the Jewishness of the Jewish state. And I think that that's where it's coming from. You mean from people on the right who f- want the law? Yeah, from people wa- who want the law. And they're saying, look, democracy is, is implanted in the, in the country. You have in the Declaration of Independence. You have democracy in countless amount of court cases that have um, enshrined it in Israel's you know, precedent in Israel. But you don't have that for the Jewishness of the state. And so it's necessary in terms of Jewishness of the state. And so they feel, and I think that that's where they're coming from. And that that symbol was necessary when it's almost like, I think they would argue democracy and equality is a fact here. Right? But the Jewishness is not. That's always being called into question, whether internationally in negotiations with Palestinians or, or even in the society, some would argue they feel from the Supreme Court and other places. Now, of course, uh, many Palestinian Israelis or other minority Israelis um, say, well, equality and democracy is not a fact here. In, in fact, in our lives, um, we have a tremendous amount of discrimination. So that's, I think, the fault lines here. And minorities clearly feel that they, they want to be reassured that they will be protected by that status of democracy. And had the nation state law said something like, it's as Jewish as it is democratic, if that were the gist of it, you would still have people criticizing it, people who don't believe in the Jewish state. But it would be much easier to defend. Yeah. I, 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 I want to ask you, actually, I want to, if I can ask you, because... Look, I'm sure it's going to be an issue in our classes coming up because it's been it's really been splashed across international papers. Yeah, I was very surprised at how many journalistic entities around the world picked it up. Yeah. I was actually also taking more stories, but I probably shouldn't because it fits in the narrative that Israel's going more and more to the right and anti-Arab and nationalistic, and so it fits that narrative. So, um, but uh, and it may be true. <laughs> I don't know, but but. Um, I want to ask you how you're going to unpack this with your students, because it's sure to come up. Oh, yeah. Look, I I think part of what I think that uh, part of our responsibility is having them understand the Declaration of Independence, which lays out what it means by Jewish and what it means by democracy. And I think that had that been enshrined in law, that would be that would be helpful. But it hasn't been at this point. So how are you going to approach that? Well, I, I do think we have to do a unit on this that we don't have right now. I think it deserves its own unit of this. This is why Israel doesn't have a constitution is because we've never solved this tension between Jewish and democracy. One of the things I will say, and, and I think it's worth bringing up to our students and to – is that uh, many of the people who complain about it, Samach complained about it uh, – uh, uh, I've heard others. I've heard Israeli Jews complain about it. Tens of thousands have been protesting in the streets. Yeah, and I've heard them complain and say, "Why can't Israel be like other democracies and just be a democracy? Uh, why is Israel so abnormal that it's making this weird Jewish thing?" And uh, that I find a huge mistake. In other words, if you want to complain about the nation-state law, you have good reason to. I understand. If you want to say that Israel's weird because it's treating Jews differently than other, 
Well, that's not weird at all. Most nation states are based on some sort of ethno-national thing. It's only weird if you think of Judaism as a religion, and so Israel's preferring this religion. But it's not based on religion. It's based on ethnicity and nationality. Germans have a law of return. Other European countries have laws of return. There's an Ethno-national states are the norm. Throughout- I, we've said it many times, I think, even in this podcast. Our children are American. You know, my children were born in Israel. They're American because that's the law of return. You're American. Your children get to have national, American status. Correct. America is that weird exception, though. Maybe France as well. But America is that weird exception that it says we're not based on any sort of ethno-national identity. We're based on ideas and principle. Right? Morning Joe keeps playing this Ronald Reagan clip that, you know, and he included French, but... But, uh, you know, I can become a citizen of France, but that doesn't make me a Frenchman. I can become a citizen of Turkey, but that doesn't make me a Turk. But if I, be, if I come to America and acknowledge the Constitution, I'm as American as anybody else. That's not really true in reality. That's an idea that America has. We're, we're seeing in newspapers and, and in the media every day that that's not so simple, even in the United States, which claims that idea to be true. But... No other, I mean, maybe France, but very, very rare is that. I think a difference in America, I think, in America, I think first, you know, second generation, third generation do get defined as American, right? That's happened in our families. Well, for Jews, I don't know that a third generation, you know, here you had, you know, you had this. And German, all those. Whites. Whites. You're talking about white. Exactly. Particularly was putting that out. You don't think, though, like Hispanics who second, third, fourth generation? Or when, a, when a judge whose parents immigrated to the United States was handling Donald Trump's case, and he said, well, he should recuse himself because his parents came from Mexico. So that called, in other words. But that caused a huge outcry against that also. So. And, and he was elected president of the United States. So these are issues of tension in the United States. It's not even in the United States. It's not simple. And the United States is one of the most is is incredibly unusual in that it claims to not care about ethno nationality, just about the concepts of liberty and freedom. That that it's an experiment in the principles of liberty. I mean, that's almost unparalleled. Israel's in the norm. These struggles are happening all over the democratic world, all over liberal democracies throughout Europe. You know, right now you have this problem in Australia. One of the ministers just gave a speech saying we have to come up with a final solution to Muslim immigration, and everyone's freaking out at the language. But Australia's wrestling with this problem of ethno-nationality. It doesn't mean nothing. It means something. There's something to being Italian. There's something to Italian culture, Italian personality, Italian. So here's. So way. how do you how do you have a democracy where minorities have their role in society, so but there is still an Italian. You don't want Italianists to disappear. That's not different than what Israel is struggling with. I think it's the same. I think Israel has more in common. So I want to be Maksha. I want to. I want to ask you. I want to be um, push you on this a little bit, right? And where. I think people perceive Israel's different, and I think it's kind of true. One is that the minority that we're talking about in Israel are uh, are indigenous. They lived here. They weren't immigrants. They're not an immigrant group, right? Druzy, Palestinians, they're not immigrant groups. So they're living here. So we'd have to – I don't know if that parallels those discussions we're having with those other places. 
French. You know, we, we, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. You have the the what are they called? Romani now. What are the what are the Roma Sinti? Ro- Roma, the two tribes we're talking about. Roma and Sinti, but Roma is and and, uh, and all sorts of groups. You have ethnic groups that are subgroups within other cultures. You have, uh, I mean, the Kurds being a particular example. Yeah, but they're not living in democracies. Kurds. Well, technically, Turkey's supposed to be a democracy. Right. I guess so. Well, so that's one kasha is in terms of this, you know, one of one challenge is this idea we're here. We're talking about people who are um, from here. A. And the second one challenge. Now I forgot it. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I, I do think you have parallels in Europe, although the problem now really facing on a large scale is immigration, which is not Israel's problem. Israel's problem is pretty much only uh, the people who are here, many of whom say they want their own state, inc- many of whom, the majority of whom say they don't want there to be a Jewish state. So you have some who say we want this, we, either we want two states. You have all sorts of different opinions within that minority. But essentially, if the minority remains legal and loyal. So is, Israel is a, has unusual features of a common problem a common 21st century problem. And I would argue probably most countries, you know, Spain has it with uh, in, in Catalonia. I, I don't know that I don't, I will find things that are similar and I will yeah. find things that each country is going through it in its own particular way. But I don't think it's wrong for me to say that there's this overarching problem of balancing ethno-nationality with democracy. So I remembered my second challenge. Thanks for speaking. (laughs) That's what I do for a living. So the second challenge is we hear this a lot from Palestinians when we bring Palestinian speakers into the class when they'll say, you, meaning our students who are not Israeli citizens, have more rights here than me. Right? Meaning the the clash is not only over over that it's not immigrants. In fact, there's a, there's an immigrant class that comes here that automatically automatically gets rights that those who are living here feel they don't have. Yeah, ethnic Germans have a right of return to Germany and get their citizenship, whereas a French person who wants to or, or an Israeli who wants to move to Germany doesn't get that advantage. It's recognizing an ethno-national advantage to people of German extraction. So you can say that that's wrong also, and that's – I understand. I understand both sides of the argument. I, I think there are two sides. I think both are valid. I think the liberal idea that ethno-nationalism is in itself evil is very problematic. I think it's ignoring a lot of how we as humans function, and I think it's it's ignoring – it's a, in other words, out of proportion, ethno-nationalism without a democratic balance becomes evil. No question. Everything in proportion. But to imagine you know, the John Lennon world of no more ethno-nationality and that's going to be a peaceful, happy world, I think that's ridiculous. And I think, I think that's not – that doesn't understand human psychology or sociology. I th- and, and I think it's going to miss a lot of what's beautiful and diverse about the world. Why? What do you think is wrong about the uh, the John Lennon Imagine? Uh, why is that? Because if there's no such thing as Italian or French or or Japanese or Indonesian or Thai or if these things are just if we just create this sort of humanity, I, I, and it could be that we'll evolve into into that in a thousand years or two thousand years, but that's not the way the human race works. I think building our national cultures in a healthy way 
is the stage of history that we're in. And to try to jump it is not only silly, I, I think it's really, really harmful because we are, you know, to use, uh, what's his name? Who, who, uh, righteous mind, hate, Jonathan hates model. We are 90% chimp and 10% B. You know, we have this need to be part of a collective, this need to be, those things are meaningful. When we, you know, when you turn on the travel channel or the food channel and you see people sharing their food as part of their cultural heritage, that's deeply meaningful. For something like that to say that that doesn't matter, let's all just eat, let's destroy the diversity of cultures. Ethno-nationalism doesn't bring good. It just brings evil. No, ethno-nationalism brings culture and identity and ideas and perspective. And that's why people love to travel and explore. And and you read a novel by a Baghdadi novelist is going to be very different than by a French novelist. And what what can be interesting is, is within that difference, finding also the similarities. And that that's where it becomes interesting. One of the fascinating things is the more particular the experience, the more universal it is. You know, every every ethnic culture watched my big fat Greek wedding and go, "Oh my God, that's just like Jewish. It's just like Italian." The more and 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 we don't we don't we're not going to have a more shared humanity by losing our individuality. That's certainly true of single humans. It's certainly true of larger collective groups that have distinct culture, cultural identities that they want to preserve. That's not a bad thing. The question is, how do you balance it with democracy? And so when the far left treats it as a bad thing and treats it as a global collective, people not only on the far right recoil, but people in the middle recoil. And they begin to elect leaders who they think are going to, uh, you know, cut immigration and, and protect our cultural identity because that's still meaningful so don't assault that balance balance it right um so i it made me think of uh of this in the in a very interesting situation here in israel because what you're really talking about is that those boundaries give us a sense of self-identity and uh, and definition and when you rid get yourself rid of those boundaries you lose that sense of identity and and identification and that loss can make things much more difficult um and actually made me think of the kibbutz movement where the kibbutz movement a segment of it a, a large segment of it actually tried to remove the boundaries of family Right, struggle with that. You had children's houses, and you know the parents were really not central in the kids' lives um, in in many different ways in the early kibbutz movement up until the nineteen um, nineteen uh, late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties for many of the kibbutzim. And now there's no no I don't know of a kibbutz. I could be staying to be corrected, but I don't know of a kibbutz that any longer has children's houses. Because um, they realized that lack of identity, that lack of belonging to a small a unit of a group, was 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 damaging. That you needed that identification of family, and I would move that you need that identification of family of 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 neighborhood, of city, of nation, we of you know. To be, we humans need to be part of a collective to find meaning and 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 belonging and purpose. And and by the way, the kibbutz was basing itself not on the liberal democratic idea, which is going to bring us to the louder letter. Uh, It's based on the collectivist idea that individuals don't matter. So, of course, families don't matter. 
And they were, I mean, it's a fascinating microcosm experiment of human nature, but I think it's really been proven wrong. I think that's fair to say. And so I think this argument about ethno-nationality is a similar thing. And, 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 and Israel's roots as an attempt to create a collectivist Marxist state, its leadership, were deeply invested in those principles. That's my issue with the louder letter. The louder letter which talks about, it brings up several issues. It brings up the arresting of a conservative rabbi who performed a wedding or the detaining, whether, I don't know that he was arrested, uh, the, the failure of the egalitarian prayer area at the Kotel and, um, the, the, the surrogacy rule that excluded homosexual men or what else did he bring up? A bunch of these that indicate the nation state law. His argument is these are troubling trends to people who care about Israel's democracy. And I think that's very obviously uh, uh, valid, whichever side of the debate you want. He's raising concerns that in a democracy, do those things make sense? But where I think he missed his mark was in, A, defining Israel as a place to inspire American Jews to feel like they have a second home and a dream of what Jews can do, which is, I don't think, what Israel is. Israel is not there to inspire people. Israel is there to be Israel as the the homeland to the Jewish nation. Yeah, the nation state of the Jews. Um, So if you want to complain about Israel's democracy, that's fine. But don't complain about it as it's not helping us in America. Like we're not – that's – and and the other issue is his picture of modern Judaism as this like beautiful – you know, Lockean, Jeffersonian articulation of the principles of liberal democracy. I don't know what modern Judaism is. Yeah, but it's like, like we found in Vermont, like, you know, that's what it sounds like. It's like, you know, Mount Lebanon, I don't know, uh, Bethlehem in America, right? That, that all of a sudden the, the, you have these, that, that it's synonymous, that uh, American liberal democracy is synonymous, or Democrats are synonymous with uh, what Israel, what Judaism is. I mean, that's so weird. That's so... It's not unusual. You hear that a lot. I I do think, and by the way, I think that comes a lot out of the advocacy world. In other words, advocacy world, I know that like, and this is why I lean education, not advocacy, because the advocacy world, at least, you know, until recently has been pushing, you know, how do we get Americans to support Israel? Let's keep pounding on the idea that Israel is like America. We have shared values. We have shared. It's a 51st state. That's how advocacy likes to put it out. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. I, I get why they're saying that maybe that would be compelling to people, but it's not true. Israel and its first. It's a marketing technique. If you want people to identify with you, show how you're similar. Right. So now Louder saying, well, let's take that marketing technique, treat it as gospel truth and persuade it. Let's market to Israel. Well, I don't think he's a marketing. I don't think he's a marketing. No, I, I think, think he believes it. I think he believes it. But I think the, in the advocacy world, when they push that, that it's a marketing technique. But I think he really believes it. I, I, think, they, I think they believe it. I think a lot of American Jews believe it. I think it, I think it comes out of a lack of understanding of Israel's actual historical journey, which is not that. Uh, or political climate. Right, climate. Right. I mean, Israel. At just one point to point out is Israel is not a majority of of um, people who come from Western democracies. Right. A majority of Israelis come from either Eastern Arab lands, so, former Soviet Union, <laughs> and those are two places that were just not 
they haven't been raised on ideas of democracy, let alone liberal democracy. The founding fathers of this state were basing their idea on Marxist collectivism. They, they, many were stayed loyal to Stalin. Many didn't stay loyal to Stalin, but they all thought that the ideas of communism were the overarching ideas. And you and you control society in Israel uh, until I made Aliyah in 1989. When I made Aliyah in 1989 is when they got the first television, private television station in this country. That means up until 1989, there was one television station that was state-controlled. The radio was state-controlled radio. And today, most of the radios are state-controlled. I think all of radio is actually still. You have to get a tender from that. I don't know exactly how it works today if they're private stations or not. I think there, there are no pri- – there is. There are. I, I don't know. I think it's like there's sub – I don't know exactly. But, but certainly up until very recently, like in our lives, um, meaning you know, up until the, the 1990s, the, the media was very much state – was very much state-controlled. Um, so it was a very different concept of well, but there was Israel's always been open to d- cultural diversity, hasn't it, Alan? He says setting up the yeah, except if you're talking about the Beatles in the '60s, right? That's the famous one that everybody likes to pull out. Is that the government in the '60s would not let the Beatles come because they thought it was detrimental? It wasn't like don't let your kids listen to this, but they're going to play on the radios anyway because the radios are private stations, or they're going to put them on where did they should Merv Griffin, not Merv Griffin, but whatever they Ed Sullivan, Ed Sullivan, thank you, right? Uh, no, the government decided the Beatles could not come to Israel because they would be detrimental to the nature. Rock and roll was a threat to the nature of the of The, the government spirit. decided it would erode Zionist values. I mean, that's so unbelievably undemocratic. So, so uh, this whole talk about Israel was this great liberal democracy until you got to – until 1967 territories is just not true. Let's keep in mind – and here, here's a you – know, for guys like us who are history nerds, one of our real bugbears is that the state-controlled history, writing, teaching, education, even academia, to leave out the role of Jabotinsky and Begin and the whole right wing. I mean, Ben-Gurion's autobiography doesn't include mentions of <laughs> Begin or Jabotinsky or the revisionist camp or, or the struggles that they had politically because – and the Jewish education system left it out. Moshe Aaron's just... And they left out the Sephardi experience. Yep. The Jews from East, the Eastern lands who came here, they completely left them out. Left out the fact that they took them to empty deserts and dumped them off trucks and said, okay, this is your new place of living. I mean, they left out all these stories. They controlled the story completely, much more so than you would find in a Western democracy. They had open elections. They basically protected people's rights as a sort of, you know, they had this, that basic rights were fulfilled, but they were not coming from the Lockean Jeffersonian approach of the rights and importance of individual, but of the importance of the collective. And so Israel, Israel really migrated. And in the early years of Israel, it wasn't clear which side of the Cold War it would be on. I mean, it really allied itself naturally with the Soviet Union. Which is why the Soviet Union voted for it as a state. I mean, that was a clear thing. And, and we don't, let's not forget that Israel was going through very hard times. Very, very, very um, bad um, food shortages, wars. I mean, you know, the collective was a necessity. I mean, the 13 colonies that founded the United States got together a convention of people who really shared values and perspectives, although they had different interests. Israel is not made of people who share values in the same way that America was built on. And it's been struggling. And the nation-state law is the current iteration of that struggle to articulate what it will mean to be a 21st century Jewish state. And 70 years in, it's a living, breathing struggle with really smart people having really divergent approaches and opinions. So 
in this battle. And by the way, I'm more or less on Louder's side that I think democracy has to has to play a primary role. I'm on the side of Louder and the Declaration of Independence in enshrining those. Uh, I'm a Jeffersonian. I, we're Americans, you know. Right. Le, le, we were born and bred, and you know, milk bottle, milk fed. Uh, at least I was on. You me know, too. That was the age. Exactly. That's why I assumed. Right on the. On, uh, but in that was democracy, American American concept of of democracy and individualism and all of those things. And you come here, and we're we're in the minority in many ways. That that that's a fact. And I don't think American Jews understand that because when they think, oh, it's was democracy, they think, oh, it's just like us. But it's not. It's it's got this diversity of opinions, and pe- people are coming from very different places. There's also an Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, assumption that laws and structures are what makes society good. That's why people pretty much follow the speed limit and traffic laws in America. America is one of the countries that is actually. Uh, citizens pay their taxes extremely close to what they should be. You know, you have this Anglo-Saxon tradition of, you know, if if we stop at a four-way stop sign, uh, 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 we'll do what there. There are cultural norms to observe. That's exactly that was exactly what I was going to say. I that was a th- I just got back from America. That's why I wasn't on last week. And that's a thing that gets me in America. I was trying like tell my daughter and she was with me. We were laughing about like this would never work in Israel. You don't have four-way stop signs in Israel. They have to build circles. Because you can't have four-way stop signs or right turn on red. It just won't work in Israel. What do you mean? I can make a right turn. <laughs> Who says you're afraid? It doesn't, right? There's just not, none of this idea of... Uh, oh, yeah, we'll drive into each other in Israel because there isn't this... There are so many cultural differences that... And, and you know, sometimes Americans can be snobby and complain about Israelis being rude or whatever it is. But you're still judging them on American terms from an American perspective. I'm not saying don't complain. I'm saying... Understand the culture here really is different in ways that are a struggle, you know. And Matt, our producer, who's usually you know off and on, you know, is now on on is really frustrated that all these foreign Jews are complaining about Israel, and he's like, "Well, come live here yeah. and vote and change the country and build something different. Stop complaining." Which I think I'm sympathetic to. I think Israelis get sort of their backs up when they hear people saying. Well, Israel, you're not serving as the model that we want in the diaspora. Well, we're not here to serve as a model for the diaspora. We're here. I mean, the founders of Israel wanted it more or less end the diaspora. Yeah, yeah. Israelis then go play. At least you know, government officials and others go play on those sympathies to raise money or to you know help politically those things. So oh, I think both sides of the ocean want it both ways. Right. Exactly. So that's you know. That's, I guess, you know, the real world of how people, you know. That is human nature. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, we're building something. How it'll turn out, I don't know. But the bottom line is, whether you're here or there or in the middle, we all have to – the future will be what we make it. It's not going to end up as something. And if and for all of us who have a vested interest in what we want Israel to be, we do have to build it wherever we live. We have to see. I, I, I listen as much as I think that some of Louder's, uh, as much as I'm disagreeing with it, I'm happy to see American le- American Jewish leadership so passionately involved in Israel, and I hope it stays that way. And actually, I think it serves as a good model that you shouldn't be afraid to criticize Israel. Correct. Because that's you know that's one of the big you know problems we're having now is people um, saying that you always have to toe the line. No, be part of the conversation. Criticize. You know, that's true. I don't think anyone's made a big deal about that enough that like, oh, the establishment keeps down all criticism. 
well, that was a pretty establishment guy. Yeah. Pretty harsh criticism. Yeah, 100%. So call a vote for that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I agree with you. All right. Well, thanks so much. Good to have you back, Alan. Good to be back, Mike. I'm a little worried our equipment is kind of getting crummy because the sound quality, I don't know. I'm a little worried. We're going to have to get you a new mic, Mike. I don't know, a mic or a machine? I don't know. I'm a little worried. Let us know if uh, you have the same sound concerns as I do. And uh, we'll uh, stay tuned as we revise our website and different changes that we're going through right now. We'll keep you posted and you let us know how things are going. Subscribe subscribe to us on your favorite podcast uh, platform. And recommend. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much.